Have you ever been like a step away from just stepping out on God? If you're thinking about it, God says, I have no pleasure in them that turn back. In Psalm 85, 8, Psalmist says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Let them not turn back. Let them not turn again to folly. It is folly. That's what it is to turn back. You won't find it fulfilling anymore if you go back to the world. God help us to keep on keeping on. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the gospel of John and the 21st chapter, John chapter 21. Recently, I was up in Canada fishing, and uh, I was with another preacher and our two sons, and we were singing there on the shore, and uh, a song came to mind. We're just, you know, coming up with songs to sing, and the song, Come and Dine, came to mind, because there's a, a, a verse in there that says, there they found their heart's desire, bread and fish upon the fire. We were cooking our supper at the time while we were singing, and I thought of this passage here in John chapter 21, where we get that come and dine, that come and dine uh, phrase from. And here we find Christ, he's already died on the cross, he's already resurrected, he has not yet ascended up to heaven, so we find him right at that time period, and we find here that he makes an appearance to his disciples on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, a place I've been to, and it was a very, very special time in, in the lives of those apostles, and especially in the life of one apostle, his name is Peter. And Peter learned a lesson that day he never forgot. We pick it up in John chapter 21 and verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. Notice these words. And that night, they caught nothing. That night, they caught nothing. Now, why is that powerful? Why is that symbolic of something? Well, you need to understand something. Peter was saved. And Peter was not only saved, Peter was called to preach. Jesus had given Peter an assignment to do. Get the gospel out. But Peter wasn't doing it. He actually had turned his back on the ministry, if you will, and gone back to the old profession, the old vocation of fishing. But notice, he caught nothing. It was a fruitless endeavor, an empty endeavor, and a barren endeavor. And that's really a picture of, of what happens when a Christian goes back to the world. I'd like to talk about that today as we talk about you won't find it fulfilling anymore. And you won't. You won't find it fulfilling anymore. When you go back to the world as a child of God, you won't find it fulfilling. Let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to bless this time in your word. How I pray now that we glean some truths from this passage that would help us not to have to learn the lesson the hard way. 
It would not cost us time. It would not cost us money. It would not cost us health. It would not cost us scars in the future. But Lord, that we could look at somebody else's life, knowing that these things were written for our example, and we could learn from their mistakes. So help us to listen carefully now, and to learn, and to be helped. We pray now and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I was uh, out eating with a pastor and his wife. My wife was was with us. And the four of us were sitting in a restaurant not too far from here. And we were having lunch here a couple of months ago. And we were talking about last-day Christianity. There are some things that are going on in the day and age in which we live that are outrageous. They're bizarre. They're outlandish. And, and Christian people are, are doing things you would thought, have thought were unthinkable and justifying it. And saying, well, I don't see any problem with it. I don't see anything wrong with it. And we're, we're talking about what's really going on in this world and especially in this land. And that pastor's wife used an expression that I thought about afterwards and have thought about since. She said, Christians are just whacking out in these last days. Whacking out. I thought, that's it. <laughs> that's the word, <laughs> whacking. <laughs> the expression, whacking out. They're doing things that are bizarre and outrageous and unthinkable and justifying it. Justifying it. Now, I say last days believing we're living in the last days and knowing that the last days are going to be perilous times. We read in Second Timothy 3.1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That word perilous means dangerous. Dangerous days. These are dangerous days. These are incredible days in which we're living in. And we might not have to die for the faith in our life, but it's sure tough to live for the Lord. It's very tough. There's a reason for that. Matthew 24, 12, Jesus speaking of the last days says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. He's not talking about unsaved people there. They never had any love for the Lord. But because iniquity shall get so bad in the last days, The love of Christian people, you and me, shall wax cold if we don't watch it. We have really got to be on our guard here. Now, you can go back to the world, friend, but you won't find it fulfilling anymore. And like Peter, you can play footsies with the world. You can pant after the world and society and all that. It it shimmers in front of our faces, but it will not fulfill us. By way of background, we find Peter. We find him with half a dozen other men or so, some of the disciples, and they're discouraged. They're wondering what's going on, what's next. We haven't heard from the Lord for a while. Peter especially here is hurting because you remember he had denied the Lord. Actually said, I know not this man. He had cursed, he had swore. And now he's embarrassed about that and feeling guilty and no doubt, wondering if he has any future in the ministry left whatsoever. Maybe he has not been praying the way he should, reading his Bible, walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find him cold, stiff, barren, and deciding to go back to fishing. This wasn't just a leisure few days away. This wasn't just coming apart and resting. This was Peter saying, I go a fishing. I'm going back to fishing. And notice what happens. Others go with him. That's how sin works. It's never singular. No man is an island. Remember, if you go in the wrong direction, you will normally take others with you. And so Peter doesn't go alone. No, sin's not singular. Others go with him. And now we find these backslidding Baptist preachers, if you will, out in a boat, instead of preaching the gospel and reaching the world and fulfilling the Great Commission, no, they're fishing out there. They've gone back to the old vocation. What had happened? Well, it's a picture of them trying to find, I guess, fulfillment in the world and in the old life and all those things once again, but it will not happen, as I'll show you in a moment. 
Now, what went wrong with Peter? Well, let's take a look at Peter specifically. We find in Peter what I call, first of all, a committed resolution. There was a time when Peter had given his heart and life to Jesus Christ. In fact, hold your place here, if you would, in John chapter 21, but stay in the Gospel of John and just turn back to the first chapter of John. John chapter 1. Peter had made a committed resolution. Peter had perhaps sung that song, I have resolved no longer to linger. Charmed by the world's delights, he said things that are higher, things that are nobler, heavenly things. These have alerted my sight. And Peter had made that commitment. He had come to Christ. In John chapter 1, and in verse number 40, we read about it. It says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah which is being interpreted the Christ. And he, that is Andrew, brought him, Peter, to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, Peter, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. He calls Peter the stone, the pebble. Now Christ is the rock. Christ is the boulder. Christ is the foundation upon which the church is built upon. Make no mistake there. But Peter, or Petros, means pebble, or stone, small stone. And here, the Lord gives Peter a little, little surname, if you will. He says, you're going to be Cephas, which means a stone. And, and you're going to be dependable, you're going to be loyal, you're going to be one who, who really is committed. Later on, we find Peter in the ministry, and he's excited about what's going on. In Luke 5, 8, it says, when Simon Peter saw it, that is this miracle of the, the draft of fishes, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, he was committed. He was resolved. He saw who Jesus was. He saw who he was. And he was excited about it. Later on in Matthew 26, he makes this vow. In verse 35, Peter said unto Jesus, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. So he's locked in, or so you would think. He's committed, or is he? He has made this committed resolution. He has been saved. We know that. And by the way, that's the wisest decision you'll ever make. Have you had a time when you were fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? You gave Him your life. You made Him your Savior and your Lord. Have you had such a time when you were born again, the Bible way? And you actually sit here today knowing for sure that if you died, if your heart stopped, you'd be in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have that assurance. Because your salvation is not based on what you've done to earn it, but what Jesus did to earn it. You see, a lot of people make the mistake of trying to work their way to heaven, and religion teaches that. False religion does. False religion says if you just get baptized, you'll have your original sin washed away, you'll be a child of God now, just do the best you can. Hopefully when you die, your good will outweigh your bad, and God will let you in. Well, that's not found in the Bible at all. In fact, the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saves us. It's the mercy of God. Salvation is the gift of God. We find that for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. You won't find anyone in heaven today walking around patting themselves on the back because of how they've earned their way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. It is the gift of God. You must realize you're a sinner unworthy of heaven and come to Christ and accept the, the payment He made on Calvary's cross as the only thing you're trusting in 
to take you to heaven. Friend, have you had such a time in your life when you realized you were a sinner, had a change of heart about your sin? It's called repentance in the Bible. You turned to Christ in faith and trusted only what he did on the cross to save you. Have you been born again the Bible way? Peter had. Peter had made that committed resolution. He had been born again. He had made that transaction. I like that song that says, Then the transaction so quickly was made. You know that on March 5th, 1981, I made that transaction with God? Could I use a word, maybe a little bit out of context, but I made a deal with God, if you might want to put it that way? There are some who would take offense at that word and say salvation is really not a, a deal, and maybe some theologian would take me to task for wording it that way, but for, but for the sake of understanding, on March 5th, 1981, a transaction was made. I made a deal with God, if you will. And I can't turn back on that deal. Not in good faith, not in good conscience. You say, well, but pastor, you could quit the ministry. Uh, you could go do something else. And I could. I could uh, maybe go into developing, make a lot of money, buy a, a fancy house on a lake someplace, take trips to Europe, go south in the winter, do a lot of different things that perhaps I wanted to do. But I can tell you this much, I'd be out of God's will. Number two, I would be miserable, at the very least, I would be chastened at the very worst. But most of all, my fellowship with the Lord wouldn't be the way it should. That fellowship would be broken. Besides, if I made a, quote, transaction or a deal with God, if you might put it that way, I crossed the bridge. You crossed the bridge. And you should have burned that bridge behind you. There was a Chinese general years ago who had this group of men, and they were going up against this other uh, Chinese army, and there was kind of civil war in the country. And this, this particular smaller Chinese army was so grossly outnumbered that that general knew he could never, ever beat the other army, except he got his men desperate enough and hungry enough. And so he said, gentlemen, we're going to cross this river, and they did. He said, we're going to sink the boats, and so they smashed the boats and, and sunk them so they couldn't retreat. And he said, we're going to only take three days of rations, bread and water, if you will, and we're going to meet the enemy, and it's do or die. We either defeat them and get their food, or we die trying to, because we cannot retreat. There's nothing to go back to. And that's my point. When you get saved, a transaction is made. There's nothing to go back to. You leave the old life. You leave the old uh, sin. You leave the old friends. It's conquer or die. That's Bible salvation. It really, it's a commitment. And Jesus talked about putting those hands to the plow and not looking back and not being fit for the kingdom of God if you do. So we see, first of all, that committed resolution. But secondly, let's talk about this carnal relapse. That's what Peter has. Turn back to John 21, if you would. Peter backslides. Now, you cannot lose your salvation, but you can surefire backslide and have a relapse, if you will, a carnal, carnal episode in your life, one you don't want, but Peter has it. We find out in verse number 3, Peter, or Simon Peter saith unto them, <clears throat> I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. So here he is going back to the old life, going back to fishing, and you know why? I think he was ashamed of denying the Lord. Maybe feeling discouraged, maybe feeling depressed, maybe feeling embarrassed, embarrassed about what he had done. And maybe he had been living in the flesh, maybe he wasn't doing his devotions. The old-time preacher, Lee Robertson, if somebody had come to him for counsel, first thing he would say is, have you been reading your Bible and praying? Have you been reading your Bible and praying? You say, preacher, don't, don't bother me with the facts. I'm here to get some help. Have you been reading your Bible and praying? Let's start there. 
Honestly, he said in most cases, they had not been reading their Bible and praying. That's why they were in for counsel. So maybe Peter had not been reading his Bible and and praying. He had been living in the flesh. And he had also been proud. Remember that? He was spouting off saying, I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the head of the the disciples. I'm going to be the, the leader of the church. And he should have been humble. But there he is in his pride boasting. By the way, he also talked about never denying the Lord when he should have been very sober. If God tells you this is what's going to happen, you don't argue with him. You don't say, though, all the rest of them deny you. I will not deny you. And so instead of being sober, he had been uh, proud. And he had not been praying when he should have been. Remember when he was sleeping there in the garden? He should have been praying. So, I mean, he's doing everything wrong, and he backslides. And it's a sad, sad story. And it's an incredible one because years earlier, he was excited about God. He was on fire for the Lord. We read in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, that the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Peter was the leader. And so they return, and they're excited, and they're saying, we're, we're empowered, we're able to cast out devils. But now he's taken a step backwards. Now he's not what he used to be. Now he's not into booze and women and adultery and all these kind of uh, sordid, steamy sins. Not, none of that. He's not doing that kind of stuff, and maybe that's the same with you. He's just gone back to the what the Bible calls the weak and beggarly elements. We read in Galatians 4.9, Paul rebukes the churches of Galatia. He says, but now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? He's talking about going back to the world. Why are you going back to the world? He says, after you've known God, or rather known our God, known of God, why is it that you're going back to the hog pen, going back to the junk, the trash, the unfulfilling stuff? You'll never find satisfaction there. You know, there, there is an enticement toward all of us to compromise. Demas did it. Remember Demas? Does that name ring a bell? Demas is mentioned a couple of times, two, three times in the Bible, and he's doing great. He's an assistant to... Paul, he's traveling with them, but then something happens. And Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4.10 that Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica. Those are sad words, but they're forever in the Bible. Demas hath forsaken me. Here's Paul writing his last epistle in the Mamertine dungeon outside the city limits of Rome, needing a friend, but Demas isn't there. Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me. Why, Paul? Having loved this present world, that's why. I mean, he, got, he went back to the world. He turned tail and he went back to the carnality. We find this carnal relapse here. It's a sad thing. We find Demas gone. We find Demas compromising. By the way, compromise always confuses. When the unsaved see a Christian backslidden, they go, oh, I thought he had something for a while there, but evidently not. He's gone back to being like me again. And we try and straddle the fence and, and live in the world and, and live in God's world. It just doesn't work. It's like the Civil War farmer who didn't want to be shot by either side. So he wore a, a gray shirt and blue trousers and both sides shot him. And what a picture of us when we compromise and try and please everybody. We never will. Compromise confuses. If you are saved, friend, you cannot be neutral. Neutral you cannot be. We sing that. What will I do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Neutral I cannot be. You know, the great missionary to the heart of Africa, Livingston, said many years ago, I'll go anywhere for God. 
as long as it's forward. As long as it's forward. Isn't that good? Not backwards. No retreat. I'll go anywhere as long as it's forward. Now you contrast that to Lot's wife. What did, what did Lot's wife do? She looked backwards. She's longing for the old life, for the old sin, for the old city. And Jesus tells us in the New Testament, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife, Luke 17, 32. So much is said in that statement. Remember this gal who looked back, who tried to long for the old life. Ma'am, if you're thinking along those lines right now, remember Lot's wife. You know, it's not uncommon for a Christian lady to get offended and, and uh, get crossways with God and backslidden and, and out of God's will. Remember Lot's wife. Sir, maybe it's you. Maybe you're considering going AWOL. And I've seen a number of Christian men do that over the years. They turn their back on the Lord and they go back to the old life. AWOL. Remember Lot's wife. Maybe it's some vice you're playing with currently right now. Remember Lot's wife. Look at whatever it is and say, is this worth trading the precious Savior for? I dare say it won't be. The best the world can offer is disappointing at best. David found that out. David had this adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Thought that's what he was missing. Some excitement in life like that. And so he has this fling with Bathsheba. And it's the worst thing he ever did. He got what he wanted that night. It didn't fulfill him. Sin never does. You can get what you think you want. It will not fulfill you. And you can put on a good front like everything's okay. David did that. For nine months, there's that front. Hey, how you doing, brother? Hey, everything's going great. Until Nathan showed up and said, you're the man. You're the man. And David broke finally and came clean. David had a son by the name of Solomon. Solomon loved the Lord. He was tender in love with God. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings 3, Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father. That's how things started out. Here's Solomon in love with the Lord and God's hand is on him. Later on, we find Solomon so bummed out. We've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes recently. He's even talking suicide. Everything's empty. Everything's void. Everything's vanity. You see what happened to Solomon? Well, he lost his first love or left his first love. Why? Well, in 1 Kings 11.4, it says it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. Now, I'll say it again. You can't lose your salvation. I cannot lose my salvation. If you could lose your salvation, it wouldn't be free. It wouldn't be the gift of God like the Bible says. If you had to work to maintain your salvation, where's that, where's that level of work? And if you say, well, I could lose my salvation if I don't do this and this and this, you've got to work salvation. And the Bible says it's not of works. It's the grace of God. So you cannot lose your salvation. It's called eternal security. Once saved, always saved. No question about that. But you can lose your joy if you backslide. Jesus said in Luke 9.62, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You can put your hands to the plow and look back. And as a result, try and find fulfillment back in the world. It won't work. We see that carnal relapse, but thirdly, we see the common result. So what happens when a Christian who has made this committed resolution has this carnal relapse? What are the common results? Well, look in verse 3 again. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. Notice here's the results. And that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. That's the results. Emptiness, barrenness, fruitlessness, foolishness. We catch nothing. 
There's nothing there. You can't go back. There is nothing back in the world for a Christian. It'll just make you miserable. You know, there's a strange phenomenon, especially up in this area. There are Protestant denominations that, oh, about seventh grade or so, will have what they call confirmation. And some of you know what I'm talking about. They will confirm their faith because back when they were a baby, they couldn't do it for themselves. So those that are called godparents did it for them. But now they're old enough, and so they have confirmation. They say, I am confirming my faith for myself that I am a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what do they normally do after they're confirmed? They quit going to church. Now, that's a strange phenomenon to me. I mean, if you really think it through, there's something wrong with this picture. To say, I'm serious about God now. I'm confirming my faith. Oh, but I'm not going to go to church anymore. Oh, maybe Christmas and Easter. That's so backwards. But you know, equally strange are Christians who say, I mean it. I'm going forward for God. But at some point along their Christian life, they turn around. And they go back to the world, like Demas did. Something wrong with that. May I, may I let you in on a secret with Christians like that? Come up close here. Let me, let me give you a secret. They're not happy. They are not happy. Oh, they can put on a face like they are. Oh, everybody's going great, brother. But they're not happy. Don't let the look fool you. I was talking to somebody recently, and, and he took that route for a while, bless his heart, and, 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 and came out of it again, and is more on fire for God than he ever was. But he said, it was so barren. It was so dry. I was so miserable. And there was nobody but me and God. And God ate my lunch. And He will. If you are truly saved and you try and go back to the old world, it will not go well for you. It will be barren. It will be dry. There's a verse in the psalm, Psalm 68, 6, says, But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. The rebellious, that's what a backslidden Christian is, the rebellious dwell in a dry land. I'm telling you, things dry up, and it gets unbelievably dry. Notice here in our text in John 21, verse 5, Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No, they didn't. And there won't be any meat. There won't be any fruit. It will be a very barren, dry, dusty, unfulfilled, no joy kind of a Christianity. I mean, you can see for yourself, but you will be so miserable. A Christian who's backslidden and not in fellowship with God is like a canary who's lost its song. Like an eagle with a, a broken wing. A Christian who's backslidden and not right with God is, is like a fish without fins. And a violin without strings. I mean, we could go on all day. That's somebody who's estranged from God. There are a few things sadder. And, and I could take you to people like this. And I could tell you, go ahead and try it for yourself. You'll find out what Peter found out. Same result. The common results are always the same. You know, Christian people can have short memories. And that's why Peter, even later on in his epistle, talked about not forgetting from, from whence that pit was you were dug. Because Christian people can be brought out of that pit and forget it so quickly. The children of Israel were guilty of that. As they, they wandered through the wilderness, remember they had been in Egyptian bondage. They had been in slavery. But they get freed of all that. And they get out in the wilderness. And we read in Numbers 11.5, they said, We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. Oh, take us back, Moses. It was so great there. Really? That stuff? You're talking about 
these cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic? What about the whips back there in Egypt? What about the long days and the hot sun and the, the bondage and the chains and the, the wicked taskmasters? What about them? But boy, we forget all that, don't we? We forget the bondage of sin. All we can remember is the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlics. That's human nature, isn't it? You know, there's something about us, I say us, that covetous thing, that greener grass thing, that tenth commandment thing. Boy, we just, we just always look back and we covet after ourselves. Oh, remember this and remember that. And the devil will sit on our shoulder and say, you're missing it all. Boy, you don't do that stuff anymore. You know, the world often looks better than it actually is. Years ago, my wife and I were on our honeymoon. And we went out to the West Coast, and we were in San Diego for a while, and then we drew, drove up to the L.A. area, and, and we visited a, 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 a television studio. I think it was NBC or one of those. And, and we were taken on a, a tour of the, the back lot and then the sets and so on. And at that time, there was a very popular show on TV by the name of Hollywood Squares. I don't know if it's still on anymore. But some Peter guy used to be the MC of it. And, and, and man, it was famous. And, and I'd seen it on TV from the time I was a little boy growing up. And here's the set. Well, boy, on TV, it looked like glitz and glamour and, and, and pizzazz. In person, it looked like untreated two-by-fours with no paint and, and just raw wood and ugly and so on and so forth. And they took us to another studio, and, and they said, this is where the, uh, the Sonny and Cher show was, was produced. I remember that as a kid. And, and they, they, they said, we had a little camera trick that we used to do. And I, I marveled it was such a small thing because on TV it looked huge. They said, well, that's a little TV magic. What we do is, at the end of the show, remember how they'd walk off the set toward the, the curtains they'd open? They'd keep walking and walking, get smaller and smaller. You'd think, well, that thing is huge. He said, no, all they would do is they would get to the wall and they would stop and they would just keep moving their feet like this. And we'd pull the camera away and it made it look like they just kept walking. I'm going, you know what? What a picture of the world. Trickery, trickery, you know? And making it look so good. The devil will do that. So fakey. The prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world is a liar. Never forget that. He is a liar. He promises so much. And it's, it's so far overrated. He delivers so little. Young people, you are especially vulnerable. You are, you're going to be especially more gullible, susceptible at the, the stage of life that you're at to watch all that the world has to offer and go, ooh, ah, that's, that's where it's at. But, but sadder yet is adults who haven't figured this out. Who haven't figured this out yet. I mean, the world, really? I mean, we wanted to get saved out of that at one time. Remember that? Why go after it again? That's the reason we went seeking God. We were living in the world and, and saying, are we having fun yet? Are we having fun yet? And it was no fun. The world never satisfies. Furthermore, remember this, those children of Israel wandering through the wilderness there. In Numbers 14.4, they said one to another, let us make a captain. And notice this, let us return unto Egypt. Oh, there's a brilliant idea. Let's return to Egypt. Let's go back to the slavery. So foolish. Not only that, there's not going to be any manna along the way. God's been providing that. There's not going to be any direction because God's been the pillar of, of fire by night and the cloud by day. There's not going to be any water. There's not going to be any God. They were going back without God, but not even stopping to think about it. And when we turn our backs on God, we're on our own. The heavens are brass. I mean, we can forget about praying. Fellowship's cut off. Bottom line is, we can't go back. We cannot go back. There's nothing to go back to. 
And God warned those people about that. In Deuteronomy 17, 16, he said, Nor cause the people to return to Egypt, as the Lord said unto you, Ye shall henceforth return no more that way. You cannot go back. There's nothing there to go back to. Years later in the New Testament, Stephen, before he got stoned to death by the heathen, was preaching about this very thing. And in Acts 7.39, he said, To whom, speaking to Moses, To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, notice this, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. So God didn't let them physically turn back, but in their hearts they turned back. Maybe that's where you're at. I mean, you haven't physically gone back, but in your heart, in your heart, in your heart, you're coveting after the world. Again, there's nothing sadder, or a few things sadder than a backslidden Christian. Like Peter, they're not catching anything. It is fruitless. There is no joy. Honestly, you can go ahead and violate Scripture. And you can go ahead and try this on your own. You won't be happy. Some of you have tried it. You know what I'm talking about. You were not happy. In fact, some of you, you could stand here and do a better job of preaching this than I could. Because you know, emphatically, there is nothing back there. We see the committed resolution, carnal relapse, common results, and finally, we see what I call a compelling restoration. Peter is restored back here in John chapter 21. Jesus is waiting on the sea there, on the, the seaside, and, and he calls him up, and he has this fish on the fire, and he says, come and dine. And while they're talking there, Peter, or Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And three times he asks him that. And then he says three times, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. In other words, preach the gospel. Get out there and preach. Well, Peter tries to change the subject. It's an awkward situation. He points out something about John, his friend, and Jesus nicely rebukes him and says, forget him. Follow me. Follow me. It's, a, it's good advice to all of us. Keep our eyes on the Lord. If we want to keep from backsliding, don't have your eyes on others. Well, I've seen a lot of Christians backslide when they say, well, so-and-so did this and so-and-so offended me. Well, so-and-so is not Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Well, so-and-so, well, don't put so-and-so on a plateau. People will always let us down. Jesus will never let us down. And so keep your eyes on the Lord. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Follow me. Forget John. Follow me. We find this encounter taking place. Jesus would not let Peter backslide. And Peter later on writes about it in 2 Peter 2.22. He says, But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow or pig that was washed to her wallowing in the mire, and he knew firsthand. Yeah, it's no fun. It's like a dog returning to his vomit and a pig returning to his slop. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. Have you ever turned back? Maybe you're just currently thinking about it. Well, may I give you a couple of verses here that might help you at this particular juncture in your life? In Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse number 38, familiar verse, famous verse says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, God says, My soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition or get back into sin, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Notice that. If you're thinking about it, God says, I have no pleasure in them that turn back. In Psalm 85, 8, Psalmist says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Let them not turn back. Let them not turn again to folly. It is folly. That's what it is to turn back. And it's regrettable. We will regret it. The French Foreign Legion had a 
a motto for many years. They said, if I falter, push me. If I stumble, pick me up. But if I retreat, shoot me. Shoot me. You say, but pastor, it's so hard to stay on top. And I understand that. Sometimes I feel like a cheerleader and and have to look in the mirror and say, you stay on top now. You know, there are times a preacher goes to the pulpit and says, come on, folks, let's do it for his sake. Well, let's do it because we love him. In Jude one twenty one, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Don't commit spiritual adultery. You know what I mean by that? It's not worth it. Don't trade the riches of Christ for a bowl of pottage. Don't sacrifice the, the future on the altar of the immediate. We find a guy in the Bible who's a great man of God, a prophet no less, His name is Elijah. He has a a showdown on top of of, of Mount Carmel and and just blows away the prophets of Baal. And afterwards, he gets discouraged and depressed, and he runs from Jezebel. And in 1 Kings 19, 13, Elijah went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? It was the voice of God. Elijah, what are you doing here? Something we should all ask ourselves from time to time. If we find ourselves like Elijah, out of God's will, we should say, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? That's what God's saying. We're miserable. We'll learn it the hard way. You know, the the heroes are the ones who press on. They're mentioned also in Hebrews. If you turn a page over in Hebrews chapter 12, notice verse number 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that's those who have gone on to heaven mentioned in the previous chapter, It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. Notice, patience, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It mentions a lot of heroes, tells us they're surrounding us in that great grandstands in the sky, but tells us especially in order to finish this thing and press toward the mark and and finish it, We need to look to Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. The one who finished what he started. He could have stopped before he went to the cross, but he didn't. Have you ever been like a step away from just stepping out on God? You won't be happy. And and Peter is proof positive of that. Peter got right with God. And by the way, he preached on the Pentecost a few days later. Power of God fell on him. Thousands were saved. What a day it was. And the point is, Peter was stronger than ever. That's a great point to make. You can be stronger than ever after you backslide. Because though sin may abound, and, and, and the love of many may wax cold in these days, the Bible says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Romans 5.20. And I love that verse. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But the secret is this. Don't quit. In fact, don't turn back. Don't contemplate it. I think it was Churchill who made that great speech there in Dunkirk many years ago as World War II was just getting underway and and England was being pounded in the Blitz by Germany night after night. And Churchill rallied his forces. He said, we shall fight to the death. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight them in the fields. We'll fight them in the streets. We'll fight them in the hills. But we will never, never, never surrender. And they didn't. They refused to surrender. I was talking to a preacher that I was fishing with here recently, and we were talking about this very thing of saints who have turned back. And he said, you know, to me, it just makes me more determined to finish. 
To me, it just makes me more encouraged to finish strong, to press for the mark. And I thought about that, and it's so true. It ought to be enough to make us uh, just get determined to see this thing through, to, to seize the opportunity that we have right now. Because our lives are one shot in the middle of two vast eternities. Here we are, one opportunity, and I don't want to look back in eternity and regret that I didn't finish strong, that I didn't finish, period. If you've left your first love, rekindle it. If you've unenlisted, reenlist. But don't be like Peter. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. And the very best the world can offer is, at best, disappointing and unfulfilling. God has something so much better. You won't find it fulfilling anymore if you go back to the world. God help us to keep on keeping on. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.